What's up, guys? You're listening to the MF CEO Project. I'm Andy, and I am the motherfucking CEO. I'm here with my co-host, Ben Newman. What's up, Ben? What's going on, Andy? How you doing? I'm doing great. You're looking handsome. Hey, I appreciate that. <laughs> Vaughn? <laughs> I'm growing the beard back out. So I know. Like that's it. That must be what it is, man. Vaughn, you're always handsome. Vaughn, the impaler. I'm working the pastor on the, of disaster. I'm working on the Bible rap, man. You are? I, I'm working on it. I'm going to drop it. You're, oh, you are? <laughs> Dude, I would give... A lot of money to see him dance. <laughs> what do you think, Ben? You think, think we might dance tonight? Hey, listen, listen. You need to picture Billy Crystal doing the white man's overbite. And oh, that's, dude, that's me. you know it's awesome. You Tyler, know. what's up, dude? Yeah, what's up, guys? I'm still, I'm still a little bit hungover from uh, our our dinner Saturday night. I'm not gonna lie. Oh, dude, the one where uh, your wife I, texts me like <laughs> two minutes after you left. She's like, "Oh my god, I totally forgot to pay the bill." Yeah, <laughs> we were out with Tyler and his buddies, and uh, and we skipped out on the bill. It actually felt kind of good not to pay. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, you know, I had to laugh after we talked about, you know, half-naked uh, posts on Instagram. And here Tyler is showing everybody his boobs. He's always showing his yeah. boobs. Yeah. He's got so. nice man boobies. Andy, Andy gives me shit for it all the time, but I keep doing it. Yeah. So I do yeah, what I want. Yeah, yeah. I think your Instagram following tripled, right? After that post. It went from one to three? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, all right, look. We, this is this is usually when we do the question of the day, but I've got more of a statement. Um we have some special guests in from out of town. Um, if you follow me on Periscope at Andy Frisella, you know that I'm always uh, I'm always on Periscope doing little mini episodes of the MSCEO project. And one of the things I did recently was I had a contest to actually bring people in from out of town, uh, let them sit in. We're going to talk about business a little bit later on, spend some one-on-one time, go hang out, go get some dinner, um, and spend the day with. So, so we have in studio today, we have Wesley from Baton Rouge, we have John from Charlotte, North Carolina, and we have Kathy from Spokane, Washington. And we got talking about the question of the day um, and what it was going to be, because believe it or not, we don't schedule that out. It's just something that we come up with on the spot. And we didn't have one. And, uh, <clears throat> and we started talking about what, what it means to basically stay motivated or stay into your business through the different seasons of your life. And, and it's not really a question, but I have to say, man, you know, when you think, I was thinking about this today, honestly, driving down the road, because when you're first starting in business, it's very easy to stay hungry. It's easy, it's easy to be hungry. It's easy to be motivated. It's easy to be on top of your shit whenever you don't have anything. You know what I mean? It's, it's easy to say, dude, I'm so hungry. I want this. I want this. I want this. Um, and then when you start to actually have a little bit of that success, you know, most people, their hunger goes away a little bit. It's, it's a natural reaction and they don't work as hard. They don't do the little things as well. Um, and they don't stay motivated the way that they were when they were, you know, starving. Um, and what impresses me about on, true entrepreneurs is people who, who keep that hunger from the day one all the way to, you know, the end of their life, really, because I believe that a true entrepreneur never really gets to a place where they say, oh, I'm done. You know, it's, it's a journey. It's something that uh, you make a part of your life. It's who you are. And it becomes not about money, but it's about fucking winning. You know what I mean? So it's interesting to me. And I guess instead of a question of the day, it's more of a statement that I'd like to hear you guys your take on. 
But <clears throat> it's interesting to me how certain people maintain that hunger versus certain people's, you know, ability to get complacent, you know, once they have a couple little things like, you know, they might drive a nice car, they might have a boat, they might have a house, they might have enough money in the bank to do whatever they want to do. And that becomes the end of their, you know, aggressive. And what do you think the difference is between those two groups of people? I mean, for me, I think it's when you identify and you surrender to a purpose that's bigger than you. It becomes about tradition. It becomes about legacy. This past Saturday, some of you maybe saw on Periscope or saw on other, you know, Instagram, I had the opportunity to be with the North Dakota State Bison. And this is a football team that's won four straight national championships, but 12 national championships in its history, 31 conference championships, and the second most wins in the history of college football. Well, how do you explain that? Right? It's a consistency of tradition. When somebody puts on that uniform, they know the uniform. They know the responsibility, and it's a commitment to excellence. And there's two doors, if you guys can picture this, and I put it up on Instagram if you check it out, at Continued Fight. There's two doors that say, if you stay, you will become a champion. So that's an expectation for anybody that puts on that uniform. So I think when you set an expectation and a standard then you're going to continue to work for it no matter how many times you get knocked down or even if you have one bad season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would just add that I think the people that excel long-term are the ones that know deep down the things that really satisfy in life. So in other words, if your whole motivation from beginning to end is to make money, once you make money, then you lose motivation. But if but if deep down your your motivation is to do something big and to build something really special – that's going to satisfy and that's going to continue to satisfy in a way that money can't. So I think, I think the people that, that succeed long terms are the ones that know deep down the things that really satisfy. Yeah. And, and even though I posed the question, you know, I want to add my two cents on it. You know, to me, a real entrepreneur, an entrepreneur is someone who is genuinely in love with the process of being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's plenty of people that claim to be entrepreneurs, or they're an entrepreneur and then they sold their business and they do nothing. I don't consider those people entrepreneurs. I just don't. I consider those people business people who, who did accomplish whatever it was, you know, whatever their end game was, they accomplished that. That's great. But that's not an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is somebody who cannot sit still, who cannot keep moving forward, who cannot keep progressing, who cannot keep improving. It's in their blood. It's part of who they are. They do it for the win. They don't do it for the money. And when I say the win, that's going to be the purpose. That's going to be, um, you know, and the funny thing is, is all this, all this shit goes together as a big web of like what creates success. Because when you define your purpose and you're aggressive against your purpose for years and years and years and years, first of all, you don't get burned out. Second of all, you get people following you because it develops a tremendous culture. Okay. Third of all, you, you start providing the solutions with passion that you're looking to provide. And fourth, the money comes automatically. So, you know, when people say, you know, you know, how do you keep the motivation through the different phases of your life? I think a real entrepreneur is going to automatically have that as part of them no matter what. And certain people do business because they need a means to an end. I think a real entrepreneur is just an entrepreneur. They're just going to always be minded that way. You know, it's always about putting the puzzle pieces together, solving a problem, building something, creating something, moving forward. And, uh, you know, and, and rarely have I met an entrepreneur that focuses on the money. 
You know, mm-hmm. they just don't. They focus mm-hmm. on the process. They focus on the passion. They focus on the, the problems that need to be solved. And the money comes automatically. You know, that leads to a related question that I'd be here interested to hear what you have to say. That a lot of people are lured by the idea of starting their own business because they rightly conclude that there's probably a good chance that they're going to make more money working for themselves than working for somebody else. But what you're saying is, is that one of the questions to ask yourself before you do that are, are you the kind of person that is really wired to enjoy the pursuit of success? Or is this just about money? Because if it's just well, about money, you're not really an entrepreneur I always weed those people out by people that talk to me in terms of this. I want to retire at the age of 35. I want to retire at the age of 40. Retire and do what? The fuck are you going to do all day? Mm-hmm. You're going to sit around, watch fucking A-Team, fucking beat off to internet porn? Get the fuck out of here. You're not an entrepreneur. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Dude, an entrepreneur is yeah. fucking, it's not about selling out. Sure, you may sell a business and move on to another business and use the skills that you learned in the first business to create a second one. But, but the idea of I'm retired or I'm going to stop, Dude, my dad sold his business and he retired and he's been miserable ever since. Hmm. You know why? Because he bought into the idea of retirement. And dude, you know what? If you want to check out some, somebody who has a cool perspective on retirement, check out Tim Ferriss. Um, the 4-Hour Workweek, yeah. if anybody's read it, it, he's got a really cool perspective on retirement. And it's like deferred retirement over the course of your life. You know, the whole idea that you're going to save up enough money by the time you're 35 or 40 to live the rest of your life is ridiculous anyway based on the inflation and, and currency in the first place. You know, your currency that's worth a dollar at 40 is going to be worth 30 cents at fucking 70. It doesn't make sense. So the same quality of life cannot be bought with the same amount of money. So his solution is to spread retirement over the course of your life in short bursts. It's, it's cool. It's not how I do it. But, you know, my goal is just to keep doing shit. But mm-hmm. it's definitely a different perspective that makes more sense than trying to, like, quit. I mean, how many beers can you have on the beach? How many fucking, you know, margaritas can you drink? How many cigars can you smoke? You know what I'm saying? It also assumes that laying around on the beach doing nothing is actually more satisfying than building something or creating something special. Dude, it's... I have a hard time sitting still on a Saturday afternoon, much less, you know, at 36 years old, (laughs) saying saying. that I'm just going to sit on a beach for the rest of my life. That's what I'm saying. Smoking a cigar. Dude, if I go on a vacation, which is rare, like once every two or three years I go, I mean, I could go on vacation once a month, every month, like, and it wouldn't affect my business. I go once every two or three years. And by the third day, I want to come home. Mm-hmm. And most of the time when I go on vacation, I fly home early. That's the truth. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because, dude, you have to love what you're doing. And if you don't, you're in the wrong spot. I don't know. Yeah, It's an interesting topic. It is. We could stop now. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> you know, we, we really could talk about that all day. We could talk about... You know, what drives people, what keeps people motivated, this, that, the other. And the reality is it doesn't matter. You know, if, you, if, you're, if your goal is to make X amount of dollars so you can live the rest of your life doing whatever, I'm not judging you or saying that's wrong. I'm just saying I don't consider it to be an entrepreneur. I consider that to be a problem solver who is a means to an end type of business owner. Um, but you better make damn sure that whatever amount of money it is you sold your business for is enough to cover the amount of, of uh, currency fluctuation that's going to happen over the course of your life. Mm-hmm. Most people don't think about that. But when I think about when you talk about success being reaching your true potential in your life, I mean, you just stop at some point in time. You stop reaching your potential. Dude, There's no why, purpose. How many? I know 10 people off the top of my head I can name that have sold their businesses. They're fucking miserable. And they have all the money that they need. 
You know what I mean? That's why you read this shit about people who are like, oh, dude, the guy's got all the money in the world, but he's so depressed because he has no purpose. You know what I mean? And that's what your dad talked about when we right. had the episode. He talked yeah. about there was just no purpose as soon as he sold the business. Right. Mm-hmm. And you don't realize that when you're in it. You know what I mean? So. Well, I know that the uh, this is not the topic and that we're going to get into the topic in just a second. So I figured now is as good a time as any to tell people that if you want to go get the uh, the show notes for this episode, go to themfceo.com forward slash P17. And uh, are we announcing... Some other things on the website right now. Some things that we might be. Go ahead and announce it. Yeah. Well, you go ahead and announce it. Pastor of Disaster. Well, the Do It Anyway tour is now live on the uh, on the website, and if you go to www.themfceo.com forward slash Do It Anyway, that'll take you right to the page where you can buy tickets for the tour. And Ben, you want to run down just. You don't have to go go through all of them, but just a couple of the... Tell people the, what the Do It Anyway tour is. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, so yeah. A- Andy and I got together, and I think it was really the connection we first shared the stage at Summer Smash, and really when, Vaughn, you first connected the two of us, and it was this deep connection to not candy-coating things, giving it the right way, exactly what you're getting right here as you listen to the MFCEO Project podcast, and to go out and to be with the listeners live. And to help you really dig deep on what you want in your life, but like the real things that you want in your life. This is not a, you know, Andy's going to pump you up, I'm going to pump you up. This is like something you have never seen before. This is substance, this is a plan, and you are walking away with a deeper sense of purpose, where you want to go, and a clearly defined plan as to how you're going to get there. And with each stop, we're going to have a special guest speaker. So this is going to be like nothing you have ever had the opportunity to be a part of. And Andy and I are fired up to take this all across the world, starting with the kickoff November 6th at Bush Stadium here in St. Louis, Missouri. And then we'll be headed to Toronto, Canada, January the 15th. And then Miami, uh, February the 6th. Orlando, February the 7th. And then that takes us through the 12 dates, finishing in August with a huge exclusive event in Las Vegas. Yeah, so you can you can go to the website. You can either go uh, themfceo.com forward slash do it anyway, or you can go to the uh, website, just click on speaking. There's a drop-down box that says uh, do it anyway tour 2015. Click on that, and it'll, I mean, it's a very simple process to purchase your your tickets. So, we Yeah, talk- well, let, let's move on. Let's, yeah. get, let's get to the topic. You know, we've been sitting here kind of bullshitting enough. Um, guys, today, <clears throat> look, we get tons of questions on the Ask Andy at the MFCEO um, email. We, we have tons of things that, you, you know, we could go through. And usually we take uh, a minute or two um, to talk about certain little aspects of business and we bullet point them out. Today I'm going to change it up a little bit. I'm going to talk about big picture things. We're going to go macro. We're going to take a 10,000-foot view and talk to you about why people buy and how people buy versus what you probably think the reason are why people buy, okay? Um, and it's all going to tie into what I always talk about is the do the right thing economy, okay? We talk about doing the right thing, uh, creating value, creating a situation where you provide solutions and the money comes. And if you do that with integrity, things take care of themselves, okay? And we're going to talk about exactly the science, the, the scientifical, empirical process of why that is okay um if you watch me on periscope i've periscoped about this a number of times but um we're going to do the podcast basically on 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 why people buy 
and why it's important for you to focus on your own brand, why it's important for you to understand influencer marketing, why it's important for you to do the right fucking thing. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so when you say a big picture view, are you talking about like you're, we're going to tackle like a whole philosophy of yeah, how you run your much, business? Pretty much. Okay. So basically, guys, here's the rundown. And try to follow along. It would probably be easier if you were looking at me, but because uh, I talk with my hands, I tend to do all this weird shit. But follow along with what I'm saying, okay? So back in the 1800s, when business was first, you know, let's say the United States was just getting started, things were just getting going, free market enterprise was really, capitalism was was starting to become the thing, okay? And, and small town USA, you had Mr. Frisella's general store, all right? And in Mr. Frisella's general store, he sold all the goodies. He sold guns, he sold tack, which is saddles and things that have to do with horses. He sold uh, all the candy, he sold, you know, bullets, he sold uh, powder milk, whatever you needed to get along with your day back then, okay? Um, and you would go into Mr. Frisella's store and you say, hey, how you doing, Mr. Johnson? It's good to see you. What can I help you with? Well, you know, I need this special sort of, uh, this special sort of bullet for this gun. Oh, man, you know what? We don't have that. We, we, don't, we don't actually have that. Let me see if I can get that for you. All right? And Mr. Frisella goes back and he looks at his catalog and he says, you know what? I can get that for you. It's going to be a couple days. Mr. Johnson says, hey, thank you very much. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll come back in a couple days. You know, there was no internet. Couldn't call anybody. There was no instant gratification. You had to do it that way. That was the way that it was. Okay? They shake hands. Mr. Johnson goes home. Two days later, he gets a knock on the door. It's Mr. Frisella with this box of special bullets that, that he didn't have in stock, so he decided to bring to his house. Okay? And he says, hey, Mr. Johnson, I brought you your bullets. I know that uh, it took me a couple days. I wanted to get it sooner, but I'm sorry, but I got as fast as I could. Here you go. Well, I didn't expect you to bring it to the house. Well, no, it's okay. It's the least I could do. You know, I didn't have it, and I'll stock it for you from here on out. Okay? They shake hands. Mr. Mr. Johnson's blown away by the service that Mr. Frisella gave him. Okay? He says, man, that was great service. He, not only did he order what, I didn't, what he didn't stock, he stocked it. He brought it to my house. What a good guy. I really like that guy. Okay? Shook my hand, looked me in the eye, said, thank you very much for the business. And what happens? What does is, what is Mr. Johnson talk about when he meets up with his neighbors on the fence line when he's out repairing the fence? Man, you know what? That Frisella dude, he's a good guy. He went and he, he, uh, he did this and this and this. And, you know, I don't know where you're getting your stuff at, but you need to check him out. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. So yeah. what it does is it creates what you're talking about is old school word of mouth marketing based on problem solving, based on great customer service, which creates retention and creates word of mouth. All right. That's how business used to be done. That was the only way it could be done. You couldn't. There was no fucking TV. There was no radio. There was no Internet. OK, all there was was you do a good job and people talk about you. That's how businesses. That's how all businesses started. Mm-hmm. Okay, it was all relationship. It was all influencer marketing. And when I say influencer marketing, Mr. Johnson's an influencer. He knows his network of people. And obviously, back in the 1800s, it was much smaller than what it is now. You know, you might instead of knowing a thousand friends on Facebook or a thousand friends on Instagram, you might know a dozen people. But when those people have a conversation about where to buy their shit, who do they talk about? They talk about Mr. Frisella's general store. Okay, and that's how business started. That's how companies grew their business. That was the only way to grow your business. Okay, and because it was a small town, word traveled quickly. 
exactly. It yeah. was the only way. There was no way to. There was no other way to do it. You couldn't do it any other way. All right. So what would happen if Mr. Frisella decided that he was going to try to overcharge? Uh, Mr. Johnson, or he was going to try to sell him shit that he didn't need, or he was going to try to take advantage of him as a customer. He would tell his friends, right? Mr. Johnson would go tell his friends, hey, man, I don't like that guy. Mm-hmm. That guy's always trying to sell me extra shit. He's always being pushy. He's always telling me that I need stuff that I don't. And then instead, the conversation that happens amongst Mr. Johnson and his friends becomes a, a conversation of negativity. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. All right. So... That is how business used to be done. In the mid-1930s, we had a couple of cultural changes happen in the United States. We had television advertising. We had radio advertising come about. And we had print advertising, which was a few years old at that time, but started to all come together. Those are the big three. All right? And what happened was companies started companies that could afford to advertise and could afford to put ads in those mediums they, they grew like crazy because it was so, they could reach so many more people, all right? And then what happened was the prices went up because these companies were buying them up and the companies that grew, that were the first in, grew to massive sizes and basically became the only companies that could afford to advertise in these mediums, okay? You guys follow me? Yeah, so uh, basically they controlled the conversation? Sort of, yeah. Yeah. They, on, on, a, on a large scale. Yeah. Instead of, me, instead, of, instead of relying on only Mr. Johnson's 12 people, they, had, they, could, they could talk to thousands of people very quickly, mm-hmm. all right? And what happened was the prices of these mediums went up, and they boxed out the small business guys. So Mr. Frisella now, because he didn't invest in these mediums, now he's, he's in, a, in a problem. He has a problem, all right? He can't reach the people that these other stores can reach. And what happened? He ended up going out of business, mm-hmm. okay? But here's what happened. Those companies grew so big, the companies that, that – were able to afford to advertise that they started getting really fucking greedy. All right. And they started doing this because they realized something. They realized that the consumer that bought their product had no recourse to affect them. So basically they could reach thousands and thousands of people, but those thousands and thousands of people still only had their 12 people that they could talk to. You guys following what I'm saying? Absolutely. They didn't have the power to come back and say anything negative or, or call them out for, for being dishonest or anything. So what happened was, is you have very large companies develop marketing teams, okay? And these marketing teams developed marketing agendas, all right? And what marketing agendas were, were fucking lies, all right? So you had people who went in the back room of a, of a multi-million dollar or billion dollar company, and they said, hey guys, guess what? I got this idea. We could tell people that this water, it cures this disease. And we'll sell tons and tons and tons of it. And guess what? It won't matter if it actually works or not because what are they going to do? They can't tell anybody. Right. You see, you see what I'm saying? And by the time they figure it out, it'll or, be too late. We'll or, have made our money. Yeah, right. Exactly. Or this this product, you know, this tire will never go flat. Or this uh, this spoon is a magic spoon that'll help you lose weight. I mean, how many fucking scams have we seen over the course of our history? I mean, I can count. Dude, I can, I can remember a fucking multi-level marketing platform and I'm not going to name it by name because I think they're still around. They used to claim that pe- that their fucking juice, their acai berry juice cured cancer. Mm-hmm. How fucking immoral is that? Okay? So you, you and, and, and consequently, guys, if you want to know where the idea of um, money is evil comes from, this is where it comes from. Because in our parents' generation 
and and your grandparents' generation, they grew up in a situation where to be successful in business, people fucking lied. Okay, mm-hmm. so when you when you hear people say money is evil, it's not that they don't understand money; it's that they were conditioned to think that because of the way business was being done. You guys follow me? Absolutely. Can right. I can I throw something in if I follow you correctly? Yeah. So. The other thing, and maybe you're going to get to this, but the other thing is, is obviously there's this population explosion and the country's getting bigger. And because the communication system is dominated, they could screw people over and sort of hide. In, uh, they could be That's anonymous. Right. There's, there's, everlasting, you know. there's everlasting new customers, mm-hmm. right? Because people can't communicate amongst each other. Right. So like if I get if I get screwed over by a company or I get a product that doesn't stand up to what I think that it should, it's very hard for me to talk to my friend in New York and and I probably didn't get screwed that bad where I'm going to pick up the phone and call him up and say, hey, Fred, in New York, man, I bought this fucking product and it sucked. Don't buy it. That shit didn't happen because, dude, it's just inconvenient. So, you know, you got screwed. You, you fought with them about a refund that you probably didn't get. And that was it. All right. Right. So that went on for years and years and years. And companies that companies came to not care at all about the solutions they provided they came to provide a solution based on a story slash lie that it didn't matter was true or not because they could. Does this make a sense? Because sometimes yeah. I ramble about No, no, this no, no. It's making total sense. Right. Yeah. So, so then something happened, okay? In, in the late 90s, uh, there was an invention, okay? And the invention was called the internet. Everybody knows Al Gore invented the internet, right? Right. Thanks to Al Gore for inventing the internet. We appreciate you, brother. All right? Without you, where would we be? Where would That's we right. be? I mean, dude, <laughs> Al Gore. I mean, fuck. So Al the Gore. Man. So in the late '90s, Al Gore vets the internet, right? And if you don't get it, we're being sarcastic. Or you're right? too young to know right. what we're talking but about. But anyhow, um, the internet comes around. All right, and this is when I started my business. I started my business in '99. The internet was still around, was around, but it wasn't like really useful for business. Um, for most businesses, so to speak, you know, we could do email and things like that. It made things a little more convenient, but it didn't give us any real tools. But but as the Internet evolved, certain things started to happen. OK, things were invented. Things like MySpace came along, then Facebook, then Instagram, the Twitter. OK, not in that order. Now you have Periscope. Now you have Snapchat. Now you have um, instant communication where it used to be you had to write a letter. You could write an email. Now you could post a status on your Facebook and let everybody know every little thought or Twitter, okay? Um, you have things like Angie's List. You have things like uh, Yelp. Yelp. You have things like TripAdvisor, okay? Mm-hmm. When I go book a vacation, which I mentioned before is rare, I still go on TripAdvisor to see which – because I don't want to mess up my whole trip. You know, I want to make sure this place is going to go if I'm only going to go once in a while. Right. So um, the point is, is there was a new – power given to the average person to have a platform to voice their opinion instead of reaching 12 people now now you're reaching your thousand facebook friends or your you know your whatever how many you have on instagram whatever every single time okay so now you create a situation that is the exact opposite of what was going on the previous 70 fucking years which is the people that you are selling products to now have a voice and you can decide to embrace that voice and love that voice and use that voice to grow your business by having tremendous products, tremendous solutions, um, and creating tremendous experiences 
with your customers so that now instead of them going to the fence line and having a good conversation with their neighbor, they're going on their Twitter, they're going on their Facebook, and they're talking to every fucking person they know about the interaction you just created, okay? Now companies that decide they want to fuck their customers and screw over their customers have a situation where the minute they do that, the day they do that, the day you ship a terrible product, the day you lie about your product, that very day you have immediate backlash amongst the community, mm-hmm. okay? Immediate posts on Instagram, immediate posts on Twitter saying, dude, don't buy this product. I bought this product. It was a scam. Everywhere. You see it all the time with travel when the when the airlines are not honest, you know, with delays and things of that nature. It's like immediate, you know. It's at this airline. Here's what they did. And then, you know, people start retweeting that and they see what it is. Right. Dude, look. Can, can I make a point just to – for for the younger people who are listening to this – I don't think they realize what an absolute sea change there has been in our culture because I'm old enough. I'm 42. I'm old enough to remember that there was actually a show. It was on one day a week, and it was a show called Fight Back with David Horowitz. And the whole point of the show was that he would take one or two right. situations where some company was right. screwing somebody over. Dude, it was the norm. But even that, even that was was run by a by a major network, so you know had to play politics. And what they realize is that they at that time, you, you know, you guys aren't that much younger than than I than I am. But I remember the show. Vaughan. Yeah, you remember the show. But the point is, I is know. that there was there was so little that we could do in recourse that the consumer could do in recourse, and now it's completely different. Yes. I mean, I think John Stossel made his whole early early broadcasting career like exposing. Dude, you know, different things. But thing. now it's power to the people. Yeah. But here's the thing you have to understand. A lot of these companies that are gigantic fucking corporations were built during that 70 years of screw the customer mentality. Mm-hmm. And they still haven't adapted to the new one. And a lot of people who own small business were brought up in that situation. They don't still they still don't understand it. You know what I mean? So what we want to do is we want to make you understand that there was the way it was done in the 1800s, mm-hmm. then there was 70 years of bullshit. Okay, now there is a new situation where it's back to the way that it was in the early days of business. It's back to the days where the customer matters, the product matters, the experience matters, the solution matters, people matter. Okay, we're back to that situation because now they have the tools. We all have the tools to tell the truth about products, goods, or services at any time. And guess what? We do do that. I just said (laughs) doo-doo. You did. Yeah. But the point is, is that's what we do. We, as a a culture, have created um, a society of, dude, we spread good word of mouth and we spread bad word of mouth. Mm -hmm. Okay? And it's your decision as a business owner to decide what that's going to be. And if you're smart, you're going to understand that it's not about today's sale. It's not about how much profit you made today. It's not about how much you sold the person today. It's about the lifetime value of that customer. It's about the conversations they have about your products, goods, or services. It's about the conversations they have about experience of dealing with you or your company or your team. Okay. And your job as a business owner is to own that conversation, 100% of the time. If you own that conversation, you will own the market share, period. That's it. There's nothing more to it. 
If you can grasp the simple idea of taking care of your customer, providing an awesome customer experience, making sure through follow-up that the product service that they used worked for them, you will own the conversation, you will create trust, you will create loyalty, which insulates you from your competition. Now, with that being said, guys, this isn't an either-or situation. This isn't, okay, I could choose to advertise on TV and the paper and, and this, or I can, I can do it the way Andy's talking about. No. The way Andy's talking about is the only fucking way anymore. Mm-hmm. Isn't the underlying principle you're referring to just do the right thing? That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. But uh, Have integrity. Do the right thing. Take care of your customers. Be what you say you're going to be. And if you do that, you'll find success. If you don't, you will not. It's interesting. When I was in the insurance and investment business, I had a mentor of mine, and Andy, you'd love this guy. The guy's owned over 80 high-end cars and wildly successful in his life. He, he, he'd kill me if I mentioned his age, but he's knocking on the door of 60. And I learned so much from him. But I remember when I first did business with him, and he started selling in his 20s, I said, hey, can I come by your house and can we just sit down and talk? I want to learn from you. I want to ask you questions. Kind of like an interview. He said, absolutely, come on by. I said, what is the one thing that has made you successful? And I think this is a principle that with a guy like him who's come through all these periods of time, except for the 30s that you're talking about, I said, what's the one thing you've always done? He says, you always have to have the ability to go back. He says, when you do the right thing for people, you can always go back. If you screw somebody, you can't go back. You can't go sell them again. If you treat somebody right, I can always go back, have a conversation, build the relationship, and continue to grow with them. And he has been wildly successful through all these periods of time. This guy sells $30 million a year in women's shoes. You cannot go to big corporations as one of the top shoe salesmen in the world by screwing people over. And when you do the right thing, it makes all the difference in the world. So let's take it a step further. Let's take it a step further than that. What if you do the right thing and go above and beyond so much that the, the, the shoe distributors and the big companies won't buy fucking shoes from anybody else ever? That's the way it's been with him. They look forward to this guy coming to New York to get the hotel room, and they are banging down his door appointment after appointment after appointment. I'm talking the DSWs, the Nordstrom. They cannot wait to see this guy because he takes care of people. It's all he's ever known. Dude, and that's as simple as it gets, guys. You have. I'm trying to get something across to you is that your job is to create loyalty. Your job is to create brand loyalty. Your job is to do that by doing what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. focusing on the lifetime value, providing solutions, providing ridiculous experiences, providing a, dude, we have a thing in our company that if you if you did not create an experience that you think that person's going to leave and immediately go right on their social media about how awesome it was, you did not do your fucking job. Okay? That's what you have to focus on. You cannot focus on the dollars and cents of today's sale. You've got to focus on controlling the conversation and creating good word of mouth by by doing the right thing every fucking time. And if you do that to a level, you could there's different levels to this, you know. There's level to this shit, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right, there's different levels to this. You could do this at a minimum level and still be somewhat successful. But if you do it to the maximum level, you're going to create loyalty which insulates your brand from competition. Okay, when you're when a customer goes out and gets a fucking tattoo of your company's logo on their arm, like like millions of people do for Harley Davidson, chances are they're probably not going to go buy a fucking Yamaha. 
You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. So now instead of having to fight Yamaha in the media or for advertising space, now you get the business no matter what. So the better you handle these experiences and the better you handle providing solutions, you end up in a situation where you don't have to fucking spend money. Dude, buy a show of hands of people in this room and you guys can play along listening. When was, how many, when was the last, have you bought anything in the last six months off of a fucking radio ad or television or print ad? Okay, no hands in this room. I don't even know if I've done it in the last six years. Okay, what's that tell you? Yeah. It's fucking irrelevant because people do not believe companies. You know who they believe? People. Right. Which is why, by the way, for those who do radio and podcast ads, nine times out of ten, they will tell you, by the way, we're not going to do a pre-recorded thing. We just want the, the host to actually commend it because people take the word of somebody that they trust. Like, you know, like in your case, if you were to do a, uh, an ad for the podcast, it's you always... like how we talk about Dollar Beer Club? Yeah, exactly. And how it's awesome? Right, exactly. And you should buy it because it's great. <laughs> right, and when exactly. I grow my beard out, the oil does a nice job. <laughs> yeah. And the point being is that that, that whole It really is a great era product. Of I wouldn't canned... fucking recommend it if it wasn't, by the way. <laughs> I just wouldn't. I mean, right. I think those guys are geniuses in their marketing, but that doesn't mean it's a good product. You know, when I use their product, I, I loved it. I use it every day. And, you know, we're using this as an example, and I right. agree with you. Yeah. But... I just want people to know that really is a good product. No, no, you're right. But the point being is that we don't run canned commercials. Right. We run you talking about how much you like them, it. Dude. Right. It's it, right. They don't work. If but can I, can I put them on? I'm going to put no. on my. Whatever you want to do. No. <laughs> Stop it, Vaughn. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to put on my Captain Obvious hat again, because I know that we've got some, you know, some, some, some viewers who sometimes tune out or maybe they're, they're like me. They're a little slow on the uptake. You've been talking about, you know, it's all about kind of this thing you've been banging the drum on is doing the right thing, creating value, treating your customers well. But I don't want them to miss your earlier point, which was before you do anything, you have to think right about your business. And what, if I understand you correctly, what you're saying is, is no matter if you are running a business from the middle of San Diego to South County, St. Louis, or wherever. Could be off in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. It doesn't matter if you own a fucking lemonade store. Right. What you're saying is you have to operate. You have to approach that business like you are a small-town general store. 100%. So I want people to understand something here, too. This is a real good point to put in right now. Okay? The point is, is that a lot of people use social media, um, the Internet, and everything to create a more efficient non-personal experience okay they could send automated thank yous they could send um you know little reminders hey it's time to reorder we haven't seen you in a while we miss you oh you miss me your computer sent me a fucking email wow you must really fucking miss me okay we that is not how you use these technologies you use these technologies to create more value by being more efficient at being inefficient okay you could create situations that make people understand that they are valued customers. Notice I didn't say make people think they are valued customers because that would mean that you're manipulating them. The idea is they have to be valued and you should use the technology to create situations that they know took time and effort for that to happen and so that they feel valued. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely, yeah. So yeah. quit trying to automate everything. Like, oh, we're going to automate this and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Is it easy to one-click ship on Amazon? Fuck yeah, man. It's my own worst enemy. Every time I drink a fucking beer, I end up with some crazy shit on my front door. 
Dude, you know those bug zappers that fucking glow and zap <laughs> bugs? Dude, we were having a conversation when I was drinking, and they were like, we were, me and Sal were talking about my brother. We were like, dude, remember those bug zappers? We were kids. Fucking, dude, next Wednesday, I had like 19 bug zappers show up at my house. I'm not fucking lying either. They're still in the box out of my farm. Okay? So I love, I love the conveniences of technology. But don't just look at it as like, hey, how can we make it convenient for people to buy? Look at it as how can I make people feel fucking valued? All right? Absolutely. That's and, the key. And I would also mention, too, that your, your example is most of the people listening to this podcast are going to be small business people. Yes. Okay? So you're not, you're not going to be an Amazon giant of a company. So, so what, you know, yeah, they get away with a lot of the automated stuff, but that's not reality for 99.9% you know, of the and world. And making it inefficient or efficient. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Making it convenient to reorder, awesome. Sending me an automated thank you that says you missed me because I haven't ordered in a month, not awesome. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, is there a major company that you know of, like a really huge company that you know of that that still does that sort of high touch um, interaction with the their their customers? Dude, I think Zappos does, man. Yeah. You know, I order from Zappos. I mean, not all the time because I'm not really into clothes. I mean, I have like this is no bullshit. I have. Shirts that are free that I got from my company, and I have shorts that I bought at fucking Gander Mountain, and I have jeans I bought at Chuck's Boots, which is a cowboy store here in St. Louis. <laughs> All right, and that's it. Yeah. So I don't really buy that many clothes, but when I do decide that I think I'm going to be fashionable, I buy some shit from Zappos that I never wear. They're very nice, and they send me like a personal email from a person. You know, all the shit they do is like real. It's high right. touch, like you said. I like that term. You know, it's it's it's. Cause you guys have to think about it, man. We're in a world of, <clears throat> we're in a world of everything is so not people oriented. Okay. We're mm-hmm. in a world of text message. We're in a world of email. We're in a world of social media. We're in a world of video games. We're in a world of, you know, all these things that make it super easy to communicate which makes the personal interaction, the reaching out, the shaking the hand, the looking at somebody in the eye and saying, dude, thank you so much for your business. Or however you could create that without actually being in person, a handwritten thank you card. There's tons of ways to do that. You know, you're making that more rare, which makes it more valuable. All right. So a lot of the younger people, and I call them young bucks listening to this, you guys have no fucking clue the kind of opportunity that you have in front of you. You know, when I started in business, man, we didn't have the fucking internet. You know, we had email. We didn't have social media. We didn't have Facebook ads. We didn't have uh, dark posts. We didn't have Instagram advertising. We didn't have influencer marketing. You know, targeted influencer marketing. Most people, influencer marketing, do you know what that means? That means you, it's controlling the conversation with that person's people. Okay? Influencer marketing. Being able to go to somebody on the internet and say, hey, dude, you've got a nice following. You have a nice content on your page. I would like for you to try my products and see if you're willing to work together. Let's work together. And I'll pay you X amount for this or that. That person posts organic posts, and all of a sudden, you own their conversation. You couldn't fucking do that. No. Unless you were a celebrity. Dude, you could You had to be a celebrity. It. You couldn't do it because when do you see the celebrity? You never fucking see them. Now you see them on their social media. Now you see them on... On Twitter, you see them everywhere. You know, dude, the opportunities to grow a brand with little or no money are 
a million trillion times more than they were even fucking 15 years ago. It's unreal, which is why when people say, how do I start a business with no money? I want to slap them in the fucking head because it's like, dude, could it be any fucking easier? Hmm. You know what I mean? All right, Andy, I'm going to bring the horse into the room and I'm going to ask you to beat it until it's dead. Because as Ben knows, in public speaking, you, well, at least one of the old maxims was, you tell people what you're going to tell them, you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. And I, I just, this is an important point, so I want you to just drive it home. So how well, would you summarize look, everything is, that you've set up until this yeah, point? The thing is, is you guys have to understand, I'm not against business plans, I'm not against strategies, but when it comes down to it, guys, the key in today's business is not strategy. Unless, of course, your strategy is to have some fucking integrity with how you deal with people, okay? So that's point number one. You've got to have integrity. You've got to make it a priority. And you've got to make it not a priority. You've got to make it priority number one. So do the right fucking thing, okay? Um, Social media has made every business a small-town business. So more than ever, people are not going to give a shit what you sell unless they first trust who you are, all right? That's point number two. And point number three is, look... Every day you go into the office, you should repeat to yourself, I'm Mr. Frisella, I run a general store, I'm in the middle of Missouri where nobody fucking cares, and I've got to do a good job with every single customer and nobody's going to shop with me. Okay, you have to think of yourself like that. You can't think of yourself as Walmart or Kmart or Target or Best Buy, who all are fucking hurting, by the way, because they're losing market share to people who actually fucking care. You want me to beat the horse? I'll beat the horse, you know? The reality at the end of the day is you've got to be a good person. You've got to be good to people. You've got to be good with people. You've got to have a great product or service. And if you do that, you're going to fucking kill it. Amen. P.S. Fuck you. Kill shit. Bottom line. Period. That's it. There's nothing more to it. And that's a perfect place to end. Thank you all for joining us. And thank you to uh, to Kathy, John, and Wesley, our uh periscope winners um guys it's been a great talk i'm done we're out <laughs> that was awkward yeah. <laughs>